1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. The resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you... I can take this off, can't I? Sorry about that. I was having trouble hearing myself. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you held firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Then down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's been wonderful to be with you uh, these three weeks. And just thinking through the whole area of work. Uh, just let me say, Sue's not here today. It's not because she got sick of you. Uh, it's because uh, she's gone into the city to our 10.30 service in the city for a baptism, which is a great joy for us as a family. So my son, elder son Ben, is married to Elaine. Elaine became a believer when she was in her last year or so of high school. Uh, not a Christian family. And uh, she got converted, and then she started praying for her family at that stage. So we're talking about over 10 years ago, and in particular for her younger brother. Uh, Her younger brother started going to uni about three years ago, and about two years ago, uh, great answer to prayer, he started reading the Bible uh, with one of the uh, staff on campus and with a fellow Christian student on campus. They were reading through Mark's Gospel uh, over a long period of time, most of the year, and then uh, towards the about March or so this year, he became a follower of Jesus. So you know, after that sort of period of time, and this morning he's being baptized, uh, and at the ten thirty service, so Sue has gone to 
waved the family flag. But I just thought, yeah, Colin was just talking about having in mind, you know, an unbeliever that you want to connect with. And I think, well, Elaine got converted and she's just been praying and witnessing to her brother over that period of time. And I think she would have loved it if he got converted faster. Uh, but in the providence of God, you know, that's the way it's gone. Aaron is a great introvert, so he's taken his time. When uh, the students were going away on mid-year conference uh, from Monday to Friday, he'd never been on one, you know, a solid teaching residential conference. And uh, uh, when when uh, the staff mem- member invited him along, he said, he said, five days away with, you know, 100 people. He said, that's a lot of chit-chat, you know. <laughs> he had in mind, so when it got... Um, when it got cancelled because of COVID on the second day, he felt like the prayers of a righteous man had been answered, you know. <laughs> he was still online. They got online and did that. But uh, it's great. We're now praying for Lydia, Elaine and Aaron's mum. Uh, been praying for her an equal period of time. She's getting hemmed in by her children and her in-laws. She's got a fair idea what I do for a job. And... Uh, you know, so it would be great to pray for, for her as well. So wouldn't I pray as we come to God's word, give thanks for Aaron, and pray for your friends that you're so keen to hear the gospel, and uh, then we'll, we'll get stuck into uh, what we're studying. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a merciful and gracious God. We thank you for the kindness you've shown to Aaron, that he has the opportunity uh, to just stand up and solidly declare his confidence in you today. And we pray you'll, you'll help his quiet witness to be powerful, especially for his mum, Lydia. Uh, Father, thank you for the joy that Elaine has as she sees what's going on in Aaron's life. And we pray in your mercy, Lydia will come into the kingdom very soon, that you'll draw her close to yourself. Uh, Father, we pray for ourselves. All of us have friends, uh, maybe relatives, uh, neighbours, Uh, that we long to see turn to you. We pray you'll help us to be faithful and persistent, uh, keeping on trusting in you to do your work in people's hearts and minds. Uh, Father, go before us, we pray, and help this church to be one where the, the walls are so porous, people are constantly coming in and hearing about your wonderful goodness towards them. So, Father, we uh, thank you. We commend ourselves to you as we study your word this morning. Speak to our hearts and minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the professional hazards I I have is that I take funerals, and I go to quite a few of those. And uh, as I was preparing for today, I was remembering a funeral I went to a few years ago now. Taking the funeral, I was over in the hall, you know, having morning tea with the family, and I saw one of the relatives, a young guy in his 20s, who was just standing by himself. So I went over, just engaged engaged him, was chatting to him, and eventually you do what you do in those social situations. You, he knew what I did. I didn't know what he did, and uh, so I asked him what he did. And he told me that he was a PhD student who was engaging in uh, medical research in a cancer-related area. That is, prevention of cancer was essentially what he was studying for. And when I heard that, I said, you must find that incredibly satisfying. And he gave me this sort of wry smile. And uh, he said a few 
different things afterwards, but this is one of the things he said. He said, you'd think so, wouldn't you, that I'd, I'd find a bee? He said, I'm, I'm trying to preserve life, but there are other scientists around the world who tell me that our planet can only sustainably support about 3 billion people, and now we're over 7 billion people. So I feel like my work's just adding to the problem. <laughs> I thought, okay. And I came away thinking, I must be more careful about my throwaway comments on social occasions. That was the first thought I had. But, you know, I also thought, if you can tune into the perspective of that research scientist, then you actually do get an insight into the limitations of work in our world. You do understand it. There is a futility to work, a vanity about work. When you turn to the opening verses of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, uh, it is a fairly uh, downbeat sort of book, but it's a paint stripper book. You know, it, it pulls away the veneer of uh, the things we construct for meaning in our lives. It starts off in this way. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. What do people gain from all their toil at which they toil under the sun? What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? The last couple of weeks we've seen that the the Bible is clear about the fact that work has a significant place in God's world. Uh, that is, work provides for the needs that we have as we live in this world. Uh, it's good to enjoy your work if you're able to do that. Although, you know, if you're a working in a sweatshop in Bangladesh, I suspect that's a little trickier to do. And some of you will be in jobs where you find it harder uh, to enjoy your work. But all of us will find it hard to enjoy everything about our work. There are frustrations and struggles. It's good to be able to work to care for other people around you and to contribute towards society. It's good to work faithfully and to win the respect of those around you. But at the end of the day, work cannot provide you with that ultimate sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity. Right? It can't actually achieve that sort of goal. It, it can't reverse the damage that we discover in Genesis chapter 3 of a broken world and a broken relationship with God. In Ecclesiastes terms, our employment is meaningless or vanity when it comes to answering the big questions about life and what it's all about. But here's the thing. As we heard when we turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a work or a labour that isn't in vain. That's not, a, not ultimately a waste. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The thing is, our, our work in this world, what we do with our hands, it does have a use-by date. Uh, we can't take our assets with us when we die and you can't take your work with you when you die. I mean, we all know that. We know in heaven there's not going to be any garbage collectors, I don't mean garbage collectors can't get to heaven, but they just won't be collecting garbage in heaven. You know, like, there won't be garbage collectors in heaven, there won't be nurses 
or factory workers, there won't be doctors or politicians, there won't be lawyers or insurance brokers, there won't be any insurable interests, you know. It'll all be a thing of the past. Jesus won't be concerned about whether you stayed at the entrance level in your job when you joined a company or if you became a CEO. All those things will be a matter of complete indifference. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, it does seem to be saying there is a work that's not in vain. There is a work that will last. So what is this labour in the Lord that's not in vain? What is this labour in the Lord that endures? Okay, the wider argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it gives us a uh, some clear clues about what's going on here because the chapter is all about Jesus' resurrection and about our resurrection linked to his. It's about the future uh, beyond death and dwelling with God for all eternity. So what's, what's the labour that endures beyond the grave? Now, the Bible's like any book that you read from one perspective. That is, if you read it in context, you get all the clues to understand how to read the Bible well. So that's what I want to do for a moment, to actually read this verse about labour in the Lord that's not in vain, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, in the context of this letter, but ever, ever so briefly. All right? So let me pull out some things with you. Who are the workers that, God's, uh, that Paul's talking about here? Who are the workers he is referring to? We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. There Paul says, we are God's co-workers in God's service. Now, at this point, he's talking about himself and Apollos at this stage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, uh, so the, the chapter that we've just been looking at, uh, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. And as you read there, it talks about the fact that he preached the gospel and uh, taught people. We go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. He's talking about Timothy, his co-worker. He says, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord. Same phrase as back at the end of chapter 15, just as I am. So what's the work of the Lord that these workers are doing? Well, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Now here, understand that the work that's being referred to is very specific. Uh, Paul is talking about the work that is the building up of the body of Christ or building up the church, building up um, through the work of the gospel. He's talking about evangelism, you know, the work that people did with Aaron, reading the Bible with him, and talking about the work of growing disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the focus of the work that Paul talks about that lasts for eternity. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, the same idea comes up. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he says, Are you, you Corinthians, are you not a result of my work in the Lord? That is, his work of teaching and instructing them in the gospel, evangelizing them, growing them, that's the work. Friends, most of what we labour at in this world does not last. Uh, in Ecclesiastes terms, or in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 terms, it is in vain. It won't endure into the age to come. When I get to heaven, you know, Jesus will not say to me, Paul Harrington, you worked for three years as a lawyer, you constructed you know, 642 wills, and here is an example of it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Uh, I want you to head up the legal department in heaven. Right? This, this is not going to be what happens at that point in time. You see, the work of the Lord is telling the gospel to people so they can become believers and grow as believers. Okay? Now, remember, I'm not saying work, toil, in your job in a secular way is a waste of time. I've already seen that's not the case. Just that it won't endure for eternity. But there is a work that does. So what I'm going to do is ask that question and how labouring for the Lord intersects with the work that we do day by day. How do those two things connect together? Okay? The first thing I want to say is we need to keep remembering what our main job is, what her main vocation is. See, whether you earn an income, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or whether you're retired or you're unemployed or whatever your situation, what you want to do is to think, how do I labour for that which lasts and endures forever? You want to have that front and centre. There's a guy who used to be in the city called Tom Bednall. Uh, I probably met Tom when he was 60. He became a believer in his late 50s. And uh, he was such an encouragement. Every time I'd, uh, I'd come to church to preach, he would have already you know, pre-read the passage, but also read several commentaries on the passage I was going to preach on. And as I was talking with Tom, so I'm so looking forward to today, you know, because Leon Morris says about verse 42 that you're preaching on, blah, 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 blah. I'd just be taking notes, you know. So, but he was. He was just a great encouragement. When Tom retired, uh, he's a very sprightly guy, but eventually he wound up in a retirement village. And what Tom did in this retirement village was he used to go around every month and collect the newspaper subsidies. You know, this is when you actually paid for a newspaper and it got delivered. Some of you may remember those days. Okay, So uh, newspaper subsidies, he would go around to all the people collect their money. And I asked him why he was doing that, even into his 90s. Right? And he said, you know, it's like it's helpful to people, but he said it's one of the best ways I've got to go around the whole village and connect with all the people in the village and I've had so many wonderful opportunities to talk to them about why I trust in the Lord Jesus doing that. It was just a wonderful example of Tom doing the work of the Lord, even into his twilight years. Say you're a stay-at-home 
parents at this stage, or you regularly look after grandchildren. At times, uh, parents or grandparents will feel it's a fairly unrewarding task, maybe one that just wears them out. Can I say, this is one of the great gifts that God gives us in life, uh, to be able to invest in kids in that way. See, what could be more important than teaching children or grandchildren, I've got eight of them right now, and so I'm constantly praying, thinking about how we do it, children or grandchildren and how you actually invest in them so that they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in their knowledge of the gospel. Now that, there are lots of things in my job that aren't the work of the Lord, to be quite honest. There are organisational admin things. But when I sit down and read the Bible with my grandchildren, and I say, that, that's the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is what we need to keep front and centre and understand the priority of that. When it comes to those of us who are are actually in employment, in jobs, what I want to do is, is just for a few moments help you to think through the difference between work, good works, and the work of the Lord. Okay, because there are three phrases or three ideas that come up regularly in the scriptures and sometimes I think we roll them in together. Okay, work, good works and work of the Lord. Um, I want you to imagine there's a, a brain surgeon who is a Christian and they are absolutely brilliant at their job. The person, if you have a tumour on the brain, this is the person you want to operate on you in those sort of circumstances. But I want you to imagine that they have a notorious reputation with both their colleagues and the people that work for them, the staff, the nurses, the admin people. So people know they're brilliant at their job, they're a Christian, but actually regard them as being a hypocrite because of the lack of integrity they have or the harshness with which they treat other people. Now, can I say what it means is they're good at their work, right? But they're godless in their behaviour, and therefore they're hindering the work of the Lord. So let me try and capture that for you. I'm going to throw up a uh, a diagram on the screen that just has a few different categories that I'll then pull apart a little bit more. I think Christians often get these categories all confused and rolled in together. So work. Uh, When the Bible talks about work, it's talking about toil, um, the labour that you do with your hands. Uh, It's like in, you know, Ecclesiastes terms. And we know that that work of our hands in this world, it has a certain value, okay? It's it's the way in which we care for people, uh, care for our families, look after others. Then there's good works, okay? So a place like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 It says, Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, at this point, the Bible is talking about godliness, that is, treating people around you with respect, not dumping on them, and caring for them in different ways. That's the nature of good works, which is different from work. Uh Uh, 
Work as you labour the good works of the way you express the character of God in what you do. And then there is the work of the Lord. Now here we're not talking about godly behaviour, but actually helping people believe the gospel and grow in the gospel. Okay, It's a different sort of category. It's evangelism and discipleship. Right? Work, good works, and the work of the Lord. And these, I think, can overlap. Okay, let me show you how that works in this next diagram. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter is speaking to believers about how to commend the gospel to others. And he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, the good lives or good deeds that he refers to, um, these are you know, the acts of generosity or grace or mercy shown to others. Uh, good deeds and good lives are good. Right? That's why they've got good in front of both. Right? They're, they're, they're good, but they aren't the gospel. But often what happens is they build a bridge with people and cause them to ask you what makes you tick. Okay, there's often a connection or an overlap between those good works and the work of the Lord. Let me give you an example. Um, I read a, a, an account, account of a teacher uh, who was finding it really frustrating in the staff room, you know, in uh, breaks at school because the language and the talk would just descend into spaces. It just wasn't helping anyone. And so... This guy decided he would try and see if he could affect the tone of what was going on in the staff room. So on the way to work, he'd, uh, he'd read the newspaper and look for some really topical conversation piece that he could pick up on and talk about in the staff room that might also help him connect to his understanding or why he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it started to actually have that sort of impact. One day this guy was out on yard duty before school. Uh, any, any teachers here? Any teachers here, right? This is not the favourite task of most teachers, I understand. No, nope, no one wants to turn up for it. Okay, out doing this yard duty, supervising students before school, and one of the other staff who wasn't on duty came out to the yard to walk around with them. And he said, he said what are you doing here? You're like, you're not even on duty. And the guy said to him, if you're not in the staff room, it's actually not worth being there. Isn't that a lovely comment to make? And it led to a connection and an opportunity to speak about what was driving his life. You see, the, the good works that we're called to do, they do reflect the character of God and they may give you a chance to speak the gospel. Now, at that point you might feel guilty uh, because you think, oh, no, my witness is not as good as it could be. Okay. Now, understand people do not get into a relationship with Jesus through your good work, you know, your good works. That's not the way it works. If you go to, say, a place like Philippians chapter 1, it's interesting because Paul the Apostle says there are some who are preaching the gospel for Bad motivations, right? They're being godless, even though they're preaching the true gospel. 
And he says, doesn't matter, as long as I preach a true gospel, people will hear it and they'll become believers. Okay, So even when people are badly motivated and godless in their attitudes, if the gospel is there, people can still believe it and understand it. Uh, I'm not advocating that. Right? I'm not advocating godlessness, faithfulness to gospel. I'm advocating both. Uh, but understand that none of us will give perfect examples of Christian living. Don't beat yourself up over that, uh, but keep being faithful in terms of the way that you do it. Okay? Let me just move on because I'm going to talk about whether you should do the work of the Lord at work. The work of the Lord at work. That is, should you evangelise on your boss's time? After all, it's not what your boss is paying you to do. Yeah, my boss is, but most of us, that's not the case. Okay? Uh, for a lot of us, I think work is the place where we spend a big chunk of our life uh, with other colleagues. In fact, more likely we'll spend more time with colleagues than we will with neighbours or friends or family. It's just the way in which things work. It is critical that we're faithful in our jobs. We're not slack. Uh, we support those around us. But at most workplaces, there is the opportunity for engagement with people in some way, whether it's, you know, you're labouring manually beside the road. My son-in-law caught up with a guy that he used to work with doing uh, landscape work. You know, has to dig trenches together. And he stopped doing that about three or four years ago. They had a, they had a meal together on Friday night. You know, there is that sort of opportunity, that connection to keep on having those sort of ongoing conversations. Uh, Maybe around the water cooler. Uh, It may be getting coffee or lunch or just, you know, organising opportunities. But can I say in the work context, it won't happen accidentally? You actually need to be praying about it and have it in mind. A bit like Colin was saying. He's saying... He's trying to actually deliberately get us to think about an unbeliever to connect with in a proactive way in this coming term. If you're like me, I need that prompt <laughs> because it's easy for it just to uh, slip away in the busyness and the activity of life. I'm a, um, a later adopter of technology. I was the last person I knew you got one of these mobile phones. Yeah, yeah, most people have probably got one, I suspect. You know, like uh, I was the last in my family, the last at work, the last everywhere, and I'm still klutzy. One thing I discovered, though, was you can actually put your calendar and your diary on these things. Right? I don't know if you realise that, but you can. And uh, not only can you do that, but you can, you can uh, put in sort of uh, headers at the beginning of each day uh, to give you an indication of something you want to have in mind as you go through that day or a task that dominates the day. You know, I think what we need to do is to remind each ourselves, uh, you know, it's almost like putting a header on your phone for each day. This is a day for doing the work of the Lord. You know, doing the Lord's work today. It need, we need to have that in mind as we proceed Otherwise, I reckon it slips off the radar. Sometimes people ask me, they say, well, maybe all of us should just give, out a day, give up our day jobs and do, do what you do, right, and just do this full time. Um, I tend to discourage that uh, because otherwise there aren't going to be anyone to pay, pay my wage. No, it's not true. I'm only kidding. But um, can I say it's the wrong way to think? Sometimes people say, well, maybe 
I should do it as a full-time vocational thing uh, rather than the job I'm doing. I'm not saying that's a, it's the wrong thing to do. It's, it's the wrong first question to ask. See, whether you're in my sort of role or you have a nine-to-five sort of job or whatever or you're retired, actually we've all been set apart as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and our main task every day is to do the work of the Lord. Right? That is our main... That is your vocation in life, whatever job you do. I'm not, first of all, a pastor. I'm, first of all, a child of God, and I'm called to do the work of the Lord, and I just happen to be a pastor, which creates a certain flexibility for what I do. We all need to have that way of thinking in mind as we press forward. And that that will mean for some people that the smart thing to do is not to do what I do, um, so my son, my son's at Bible college now, uh, second year of Bible college. But I had to try and uh, persuade him to go to college, and he had a good reason for not going. So he was working as a lawyer in a with a group of people, and he said, "I have extraordinary opportunity to share the gospel with uh, the different people I work with." And he was reading the Bible with different ones at work, and he said, "I'm not sure I should give up." that evangelistic opportunity to do the work of the Lord to go to Bible college. Because as far as I can tell, a lot of people in your job stop doing evangelism and do other stuff instead. <laughs> I thought, I thought, yeah, actually fair enough. You know, that, that He wanted to do the work of the Lord, not become a pastor. And can I say that needs to be the priority that we all have in mind? Now, eventually he went to college, he figured he possible to do both, you know, <laughs> be a pastor and do the work of the Lord. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, the um, that understand, we need to have that sort of mindset as we work at our lives. Do you, do you get what I'm talking about? You see, as a follower of Jesus, you want to have the right aspirations in life, the right sort of directions. We all want to do um, stuff that's worthwhile. I think it's built into our psyche for most of us. I read a, a story about Steve Jobs, yeah, the great Apple guy. Apparently in the 1980s, he was trying to entice a guy called John Scully to come and work for him. John Scully was the president of Pepsi-Cola and uh, uh, Steve Jobs was not having much luck at all in enticing this guy to come and work for him. So eventually uh, he wrote to this guy and said this, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? <laughs> now, of course, it, Scully eventually went to work for jobs, but we know that Apple uh, has not changed the destiny of the world or, in fact, any individual that ever lived on this planet, to be quite honest. But, friends, your labour for the Lord... At work, that's different. You see, that does change lives. I heard of another situation where there was a corporate recruiter um, talking to a guy, trying to, trying to encourage him to change jobs. And he was putting before him a much more prestigious job with more money, but the guy was resistant uh, to taking the job. So the corporate recruiter pulled out his ace card 
which had obviously worked in the past. And he said to this guy, what's your purpose in life? You know, what's your purpose in life? And the guy said, uh, to get to heaven and to take as many people with me as possible. You see, that's right, isn't it? That is right. Our jobs, our work, our paid employment, it's got a significant place in the created order. But it does not endure. It is in vain. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, keep remembering that your labour for the Lord, whether it's at work or at home or in social settings, your labour for the Lord, that's not in vain. That endures forever. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that... We thank you. It's just so helpful to read your word and get perspective on life and what's important, what endures and what doesn't last. Uh, Father, we know that 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 doesn't mean we abandon the world and just sit on the beach waiting for Jesus to return. We know we live in a creation. We have responsibilities. But we thank you that within that framework you've given us priorities and focus and we know that at the end of the age and for eternity what will really count is if people have put their trust in you. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be loving to those around us. Help us to do good works as we proceed through life. But Father, we pray that you'll help us to be a part of that, um, that task Uh, that labouring for the Lord that helps people come into relationship with you. Give us the delight and the privilege of being openly able to testify of your faithfulness to us, your kindness to us, and our eternal security in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we need to keep praying now. I think John's going to keep leading us in prayer. Thanks, John.